This is The Wire. The jab is here, and New York City can finally get back to normal. Or can it? Nearly half of all of New York City's small businesses remain closed over one year after the pandemic started. Those that managed to remain open saw a bleak year, with revenues dropping nearly 60%, according to a Harvard University-run database tracing the virus's economic impact. The city all but vanished on March 20th of 2020. A year after the lockdown, the seven-day rolling average of COVID-19 cases are higher than when the city closed. I repeat, the cases are higher. But suddenly, Governor Andrew Cuomo seems to believe that now is the time to speed up the reopening. In his annual State of the State address, Governor Cuomo said, We must plan our economic resurgence. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. Nothing left to reopen. Bold words, and it was something many were concerned about when all this began. It's what people meant when they said we can't let the cure be worse than the problem. But perhaps it is too late. Have you seen New York City recently? The news isn't reporting what is happening. You might have heard about the over 330,000 people that left the city entirely, but what you haven't heard is what was left behind, and that's not much. There's hardly anything to do. What is left, you have to wait in line for and mask up. Even museums require a reserve ticket with timed entry. Concerts, parades, Broadway, all postponed. And don't forget the empty buildings and vacant storefronts. Stores keep closing and restaurants keep shutting down. All of this kind of takes the hustle and bustle out of the city that never sleeps. But we've seen this movie before. It's called Detroit. Just like during the collapse of Motor City, the Big Apple is on the precipice of several financial and civic crises. How New York is the new Detroit and what effect this will have on the rest of the United States. That's next on The Deep Cut. Before we tour the destruction, let's look at how we got here. On March 16th of 2020, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo ordered indoor dining to close. Four days later, he ordered all non-essential businesses to close as well. After the initial spring peak of COVID-19, cases began to decline. On June 8th, phase one of reopening began. From June through almost all of September, the seven-day rolling average of COVID cases remained under 500. The LoveGov then decided he would permit indoor dining again on September 30th, but only at 25% capacity. Cases started spiking in October and Cuomo wasn't happy, so on November 13th, he instituted a 10 p.m. curfew for businesses. Apparently, corona doesn't spread in the moonlight. Cuomo was still unhappy, and just one month later, he closed indoor dining again. Just before Valentine's Day, indoor dining resumed at 24% capacity. A couple weeks later, that was bumped up to 35%. And then finally, on March 19th, indoor dining was allowed to reach 50% capacity. Yet, exactly one year later, we have more COVID-19 cases on a seven-day rolling average than we did on lockdown day. We're going to keep going with New York City, if that's all right with you, and it will sure as hell be back. That's what comedian Jerry Seinfeld said, clapping back at naysayers in a New York Times op-ed last summer. And this is coming from a guy who just a week later was seen arriving at his $32 million home in the Hamptons in a vintage Porsche. Apparently, he too wanted to flee his Manhattan apartment. 
I wonder if he is experiencing the same New York the rest of us are. As he sits in his ivory tower in the Hamptons and comfortably hides behind a nearly $1 billion net worth, does he feel the struggle? Perhaps Seinfeld should go back and read a 2013 New York Times article titled The Anatomy of Detroit's Decline. The author outlined six things that led to Detroit's demise, and it's eerily similar to what's happening here in the Big Apple. Reliance on a single industry. Decentralization, foreign competition, and automation slowly began driving the auto industry out of Detroit. But city officials were myopic. They relied so heavily on the auto industry booming that they refused to see the bust that was coming. New York City relies fairly heavily on one industry too, finance. Like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, when you mention Wall Street, you never have to say the city. Everyone just knows. Finance represents 15% of New York City's GDP and contributes over a third of business income tax revenues. And one in every nine jobs in the city is in the financial services industry. Cars didn't disappear and neither will greasy investment bankers or hedge fund managers. Wall Street will live on. It just might be by the beach. Elliott Management is taking its $41 billion of investments and heading to Florida. And he's not alone. Over 30 finance firms are considering leaving and relocating to Florida. Think that COVID is a hiccup and these companies will stick it out after all the fuss is over? COVID may be making this city less desirable, but the state's proposed wealth taxes aren't helping. The $7 billion increase is a smorgasbord, hiking taxes on millionaires, capital gains, and mansions. Still in denial? Consider this. One-fifth of the city's $13.4 billion in personal income taxes comes from capital gains. So when Wall Street says goodbye, so will their taxes. For every job lost on Wall Street, two others are lost in New York City. And while Wall Street comprises 5% of jobs, it makes up 20% of private wages, something no other industry can match. Wall Street is a massive domino, and once it falls, it will start taking other sectors with it. Let's take a closer look at retail. It's already struggling with its own problems. National chains closed over 1,000 locations. That's one in seven stores in the city. Most of these are permanent. Over half of small businesses closed as well, and the ones that managed to stay open have seen revenue drop by over 60%. And as of last fall, there was nearly a 40% increase in bankruptcies. So finance leaves and it might take down retail with it. What about culture? People love New York nightlife. Here tumbles the next domino. Prior to COVID, restaurants accounted for 1 in 12 jobs, employing over 300,000 people in 2019. But since the Rona, more than 1,000 establishments have closed permanently. And a new survey by the NYC Hospitality Alliance found that 75% of businesses saw revenues drop by more than half. If people keep leaving, it doesn't matter if restaurants ever fully reopen if there's no one left to go or afford to go. The average salary in the finance industry is five times higher than the average private sector job in New York City. So when the finance pros leave, so does a lot of discretionary income. And while tourism used to support both retail and restaurants, travelers have been avoiding the Big Apple. Nothing to see, nothing to shop for, nowhere to eat. And eventually they stopped coming. Tourism is the fourth largest industry in New York City. In 2019, over 66 million visitors spent over $47 billion on hotels, restaurants, shops, and cultural institutions. But not anymore. 
Tourism is just a third of what it was before 2020. And New York City occupancy rates at hotels was just 46.6%, 40 points below what it was in 2019. Tourists are responsible for 24% of all credit card sales in restaurants and bars. And Visa says tourists account for nearly half of all Visa transactions at department stores. That's all money that vanished as lockdowns swept the city. And experts say tourism won't recover until 2024. New York City lost half a million jobs last year, and that's just the immediate aftermath. If Wall Street leaves, the dominoes will fall, and fast. One firm leaves, then another, then restaurants close, retail shops close, the rich Wall Streeters leave, taking jobs, taxes, and entire sectors with it. Once all the sexy stuff leaves the city, tourists won't even want to come by. Racial Tensions During the 40s, blacks began moving into Detroit and whites fled to the suburbs. The racial tension reached a crescendo during the 1967 riots, pushing whites out in droves. In the 50s, Detroit was 16% black. Just 60 years later, it was 82% black. New York has been experiencing a demographic switch up too. New York City is the most racially diverse city in the U.S., but that doesn't mean everyone gets along. Just like Detroit, the city is becoming less white. According to the Census Bureau, New York City was 43% white in 1990. By 2010, that dropped to 33%. Over 3 million residents are foreign-born, and over one-quarter of them arrived in 2000 or later. There are over 200 languages spoken in the city, and more than half of all New Yorkers speak another language at home other than English. Add on top of this the fact that New York has the highest population density of any major city. It's diverse, it's crammed, and it's growing. Over the last two decades, the total population of the Big Apple increased by a But this blended city has morphed into a racially stratified class system. About 5% of the city's population ran away. As the New York Times said, people leaving the city were, quote, mostly just like Detroit, New York became less white. And then as the city declined from the economic impact of the virus, whites left in droves, choosing the suburbs over the inner city. This white flight should come as no surprise. For as diverse as it is, New York and the city's affordable housing lottery has come under fire for enabling segregated communities. In Detroit, the changing demographics created racial tension that exploded during a five-day riot in 1967. In New York, we saw two weeks of rioting by Black Lives Matter protesters. During that time, the city spent nearly $115 million on overtime for the NYPD, four times what it spent the previous year. And yes, this violence was mirrored across the country, but New York has had a long history of perpetuating racist policies like stop and frisk, a policing practice that is still in effect. In fact, in 2018, 88% of all stop and frisks targeted blacks and Latinos. You don't see Black Lives Matter riots on TV anymore, but they are still happening. As late as February, a 100-person defund the police protest descended into chaos. 11 people were arrested and two officers were injured, including one cop who was bitten by a protester. Whites are leaving. Minorities are staying. Yet housing, education, and law enforcement favors the former. The two New Yorks have been brewing for decades. Maybe racial tension will simmer down, but for now, they are an ever-present force in the city. Feckless Leaders
Detroit couldn't catch a break when it came to mayors. From Charles E. Bowles in the 30s to Albert Cobo in the 50s to Kwame M. Kilpatrick in the 2000s, Motor City has been rife with scandal, corruption, and lackluster leadership. In New York's worst times, political leaders have failed their people. Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio have had a pissing contest going for most of 2020, down to arguing over who has the authority to open schools. At a time where cooperation is needed, each is busy trying to be king instead of serving the people. Governor Cuomo is embroiled in a sexual harassment scandal, and de Blasio is piling on, coveting the governor's office for himself rather than fixing New York City. De Blasio is also term limited at the end of 2021, so the Democratic Party is busy playing political games and crowning their next mayor than solving the problems at hand. Even before the pandemic, de Blasio was loathed by New Yorkers, giving him a net negative rating barely better than Trump, and nearly three-fourths of New York City residents did not want de Blasio to run for president in 2020. And now businesses don't like him either. Last fall, 150 New York businesses wrote a letter to Mayor Bill de Blasio, asking him to step up and take action, telling him that there is, quote, widespread anxiety over public safety, cleanliness, and other quality of life issues that are contributing to deteriorating conditions in commercial districts and neighborhoods across the five boroughs. But don't make Corona the scapegoat. New York City has been suffering from feckless leaders for quite some time. New York wasn't just racing towards a fiscal cliff, it was teetering on one. Heading into 2020, New York City was already facing a $3.5 billion deficit. The city is also on the hook for $150 billion for long-term retirement benefits for public employees, and their liabilities exceed assets by almost $200 billion. To quote the New York Post, New York City is officially speaking and solve it. Leadership is nowhere to be found at a time when New York needs it most. And let's not forget de Blasio's reluctance to do anything about the dramatic uptick in crime. 2020 saw shootings soar by 97%, burglaries shot up 42%, car theft soared by 67%, and homicide went up by 45%. Will New York get back on the right track next year with a new mayor? We will all just have to wait and find out. Lack of an efficient transit system. Public policy in Detroit encouraged car culture, causing them to overemphasize roads and overlook public transportation. Highways came and streetcars vanished. By the 1980s, they attempted to build a monorail called the People Mover, but it wasn't effective for cost or mobility, and the bus system wasn't so great either. In New York, public transportation is the lifeblood of the city. About half of New York City residents don't own a car, and over three-fourths of those in Manhattan don't own one. New York has the lowest level of car ownership per household than any other city, making public transportation more than a convenience. It's a necessity. Before the virus, the New York City subway system, the MTA, was $43 billion in debt. Debt service was going to consume nearly one-fifth of operating income and over 36% of fare and toll revenue by 2022. According to a report by the New York State Comptroller's Office in 2019, only 31 stations of 472 had, quote, all of their structural components in good repair. Even one year after the virus swept the city, day-to-day -day ridership is down by over half across subway, rail, and bus service. All this adds up to a bleak picture. The New York City transit system isn't equipped for the present, let alone the future. Impact of poverty. The impact of poverty is an undeniable factor in the decay of Detroit. 
and New York City doesn't watch out, it could soon be following in its footsteps. Before corona, the poverty rate in Detroit was over 30%. In New York City, it was at 16%. But that's not the whole story. The Big Apple is known for its high cost of living, and that's what makes the poverty rate for the city artificially low. The national poverty line is a little over $12,000 a year. By itself, it is a low bar for a basic standard of living. But New York, that's essentially untenable. In Manhattan, people need to make $115,000 a year to afford just a one-bedroom apartment. So if you were to apply a more reasonable rate of 300% the federal poverty line, the new poverty level would be about $37,000. This would mean half of New Yorkers would be living below the basic standard of living, and the wealth gap is widening. Before the pandemic, the top 1% of New York City residents earned 41% of all income. The top one-tenth of that 1% brings in 24% of all income in this city. And the pandemic is only further separating that gap. 10% of New York City residents had visited a food bank at least once in the year before the virus. After COVID-19, that skyrocketed to a third of New Yorkers. Unemployment soared to 20% in March 2020, and it's still hovering just under 13%. Every month in the last year has been worse than any other time in the last decade in terms of unemployment. When de Blasio was campaigning to be mayor, he talked about the dichotomy of New York, saying, quote, we are living in a tale of two cities and ignoring it isn't going to move us forward. In his 2014 inauguration speech, de Blasio reiterated that we needed to, quote, take dead aim at the tale of two cities. But here we are eight years later. It was ignored. It didn't move us forward. de Blasio just left us dead. Why this isn't 9-11. After 9-11, then-President Bush told Americans to get out there and not be afraid to go shopping. But that's exactly what we can't do now. It was non-essential and closed down. We were told to stay home, and it's hurting this city badly. Saying New York came back after 9-11 and will come back again fails to understand just how different these two tragedies were. What happened on September 11th was an isolated event to that specific area. The city felt the reverberations, but the city didn't lock down, and the subway was only closed for one day. The immediate aftermath of 9-11 saw some people leave, but the population didn't just rebound. It returned to considerable growth. Lower Manhattan recouped its initial losses and saw a large net inflow between 2000 and 2005. According to a city report, quote, Despite a substantial degree of population employment and business dislocation due to 9-11, the population and housing increased by nearly one quarter in the first half of the decade, well above the growth rate in the rest of Manhattan. Everyone ate Freedom Fries, saying proud to be an American, and cleaved to New York. It was the greatest city in the world, and they were going to make sure it stayed that way. If New York was a snow globe, 9-11 was one shake. Everyone was just waiting for the dust to settle. With COVID-19, the snow globe is still being shaken. The music isn't playing, the water is discolored, and it's starting to leak. No one was looking for a lifestyle upgrade. The virus is everywhere. People are adjusting to this new normal. They have to deal with it. They just don't want to do it here in New York. The optics. And let's consider the optics. If you walked around Manhattan right now, you would think this is what Detroit looked like in the early days of its collapse. Detroit is full of empty homes, empty buildings, decaying businesses, and we're starting to see the same thing here in New York City. In Lower Manhattan, commercial office leasing dropped nearly 70% in 2020, and a staggering 12% of businesses closed for good. 
vacancy rates also skyrocketed, with as much as 21% of buildings in parts of Manhattan and Brooklyn left empty. And local officials aren't doing much to help revive the city. It took them 11 months to roll out an outdoor permit program for the city's live art sector. And there's still no aid package for tenants who collectively owe more than $1 billion in back rent. What happens if that money's never paid back? Can all the landlords in the city collectively swallow $1 billion? Probably not. When the pandemic hit, the city decided to house all the homeless people. Currently, they're housing 13,500 New Yorkers, costing $120 a night, spread out over 63 different hotels in the city. That adds up to nearly $300 million. What happens when we can't afford this anymore and homeless people are turned out on the streets? What happens to the property values in these communities when people don't want to put up with the decay that that has brought? And consider our museums. We've got these giant buildings all over the city. Tourists comprise 73% of visitors to the Museum of Modern Art, 70% of visitors to the Whitney Museum of American Art, and 60% to the Metropolitan Museum Visitor Center. It's a vital source of ticket revenue. And when no one's coming to the city, what happens to these buildings? Where will that funding come from? So why hasn't New York City collapsed yet? The only difference is the Band-Aid. The federal government has poured money into the city, creating a temporary fix. This money is falsely propping up the city, slowing the sudden decline that other felt cities like Detroit experienced. The latest stimulus bill will give New York City $6.5 billion for transit. This is in addition to the $8 billion it received in the CARES Act last year. Federal, state, and local governments are propping up individuals and businesses. But what happens when the money train runs dry? What about when unemployment runs out or isn't extended? What happens when paycheck protection programs end? You've heard of trickle-down economics. Well, this is the dystopic version of that. What happens in New York City will trickle down to the rest of the United States. Consider the fact that New York's economic output is nearly the size of Canada. If New York was a country, it would have the 11th biggest economy. And although New York City metro area makes up just 1% of the total United States area in terms of mass, it produces 8% of the nation's GDP. New York City's metro area is larger than the next two biggest metro areas combined. That would be Los Angeles and Chicago. So what happens if New York City goes the way of Detroit? The city that never sleeps is getting tired. When it yawns, so does the rest of the country. So get ready. When this city finally takes a nap, it's going to be hard to wake up. <laughs>